Let's open to Numbers chapter 18. We'll read verse 12 for our opening passage as we conclude this study we began a few weeks ago. Many series on the first fruits, in particular those fruits of the grain and the oil and the wine. We'll start with Numbers chapter 18 and verse 12. Numbers 18 and verse 12, brief verse, states our thought tonight. All the best of the oil, all the best of the new wine and the grain, their first fruits which they offer to the Lord, I have given them to you. And we'll pause there and we'll bow our heads once again. Heavenly Father, we're grateful, Lord, for the abundance that you give to us. Certainly, Lord, we're grateful for those provisions you make for us in the natural, Father. But we thank you more than anything, Father, for those spiritual provisions you make for us, the abundance that we can receive through Jesus and in him, Lord, that life abundant that he offers to us. Help us, Father, to receive from your hand and help us, Father, to present to you what you're doing in us, that we might honor you, serve you, Lord, and offer our everything to you. You'll exalt us in due time, Father. We trust you for this assurance. We pray for that day to come and come quickly. But until then, Lord, help us to serve joyfully to serve you in all things. Bless this word to us tonight. Help us to serve you even in receiving it tonight, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Again, just wrapping up these considerations we've had for the last, this is less than five, so I guess it's been five weeks regarding these first fruits that were offered well, under the law in the natural, back in those, well, under the law of Moses with Israel, those things that were sown and ripened and harvested, taken in and prepared as we've considered and we'll consider once again those elements specifically, those symbols of abundance to the people of Israel and of that region, grain, oil, and wine. Again, elements that our natural abundance, of course, as they uh, considered those things. I'm not going to get into all of the meanings there and, and why they're naturally abundant. Just suffice it to say, they were pictures of natural abundance. They were the standards. And, of course, they figure for us spiritual abundance, grain being the word of God, and that, by extension, the bread of life, that is Jesus, oil, the spirit of the Lord, and the wine being the joy of the Lord, as we've considered. And as in, even to a greater extent, those things that they would have wanted in abundance, naturally speaking. The more the better, naturally speaking. Bringing it in more and more and more to the point that, well, they would want even enough that it would rot before they suffered any lack. Uh, So much the more, so much the better are the spiritual things, the spiritual abundance that we would want from the Lord. Um, Just a quick review, just to... Kind of go back over a couple of the things as we apply them to our final thought tonight. A couple of things in regards to the need for abundance in these things. In Matthew chapter 13, regarding the grain, regarding the word that the grain pictures for us. The word of God. Jesus encouraged us to receive of the abundance of his word. And we see that in the parable of the sower that we know so well. In Matthew chapter 13 is just one account of that parable. We'll start in verse 3, read down to verse 9, where it says, Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. And the the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, 
They were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. What was he telling them to hear? He explained it to them. Uh, I actually don't have it in my notes here, but... He explains it to them later on in Matthew chapter 13, where it says specifically here in verse well, 23, he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. Jesus made very plain. And this is just one area where he made plain. I am offering you the word. I have sown it out here. And there are those who are sowing in my name even today. Receive that abundance. There's abundance there. And you see what happens when you're fruitful with that word. When you don't just allow it just to be scattered by the wayside. Don't allow it to be picked up and taken. There are a lot of different deeper things that you can take in this. But just the simple face value of it is plenty for us in regards to this consideration. The Lord gives the word. And we're to receive that in its abundance and be fruitful in it. Luke chapter 11, if you flip over a couple of books. Jesus also encouraged the oil of the Spirit to be received and received abundantly in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, and again we'll begin in verse 9, where he says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Those are some assurances there. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, or made up of flesh, comprised of something other than just merely spiritual things, as Jesus and our Father are, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? In fullness. In fullness, if we'll receive it. The fullness of the Holy Spirit, that is that abundance that he's looking for. Not just a smidge, not just a taste, but the fullness of it. Jesus came that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. And these things that he's offering to us, he wants us to receive until we are overflowing. Philippians 4, 4 of course, speaks of that, well, that understanding that we have in, in regards to the wine being picture of joy. When he says rejoice, Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That's a pretty definite statement there. That's an an imperative. It's a necessity. It's a command even. Paul wasn't in a place necessarily as a man just to command people, but when he's speaking the word of the Lord, this is what the Lord tells for us to do. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, in case you didn't hear me, rejoice. How come? Why does he say this so imperatively? Why does he say always? An infinite, if you want to say it. No excuse, no time when we can't rejoice or when we shouldn't rejoice. How come? Why that continual need? I'll just read you a piece of Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10. Remember when it was either Nehemiah or Ezra, they were both together speaking to the people of Israel at the same time. So it could have been either one of them that spoke it. But they said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. When the Lord calls for us to our specific, our respective places, when He gives us the abundance of the Word, we look into the Word and we see the difficult things. The good, don't get me wrong, but there are the difficult things. 
And when we have the Spirit leading us into the difficult things, we need to be able to have joy in abundance in those things in order to be strengthened to do what the Lord calls for us to do in those things. You know, I think I mentioned it from, from up here not too long ago, but there's that, oh, that saying where if you find what you love to do, you'll never work a day in your life. If you do what you love to do, if that's your job, you'll never work another day in your life. I suppose that has its own truth, but as I always consider to myself, if you love who you're working for, well, then you'll love what you do, even if it's the crummy things, right? You know, it's one thing if some stranger comes up and asks me to come and unclog their toilet or something like that. I got really crude very quickly, and I didn't mean for it to. But I'm going to be a lot harder pressed to go help someone do a dirty job then if someone I love comes up and asks me, hey, can you help me with this? I'll gladly do. Gladly do for those ones that are dear to me. And have a certain measure of joy in it, I suppose. I say it all the time. I used to roof with Bobby. It didn't feel like work. When I had a good partner on the ambulance or on the fire truck, man, we could we'd get smoked all night long. Not, yeah, not ever go to bed. And somehow it was okay because you... Well, you cared, and you had a good time with that one that you were working with. If you work for the one that you love, man, it makes it so much easier to be joyful, and it strengthens you, strengthens you to do what he has for you to do. So take in the joy that he offers you uh, and what he calls you to, and be strengthened by it, as Nehemiah and Ezra and any good child of God will tell you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now... You will recall, um, again, as this review kind of continues, that each of these elements was to be prepared as they were presented in abundance. Each one of them, even in the natural, grain was to be husked, it was to be threshed, it was even at times to be baked or cooked before it was brought in as an offering, even in the first fruits offering. Oil was to be pressed, the olive was to be pressed and then collected. Uh, the grape was to be gathered, harvested, again, pressed or trodden. In some cases, in regards to the drink offering, it was to be fermented and brought as wine. These things were offered as first fruits after they were prepared. Offered as first fruits. First in time, if you will remember. Leviticus chapter 23, if you want to turn over there. Leviticus chapter 23, they were offered as first fruits, meaning first in time. Order first in time, uh, chronologically. Leviticus 23, verse 9, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And the sheaf was primarily a measurement of that grain. So that's what it was speaking about in this specific context. But it went on, and at that time when those first fruits were brought of that grain, in verse 13 it says, Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of ephah, fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma, and its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hin. It was brought first, <clears throat> excuse me, first in time. It was supposed to be brought early. It was supposed to be brought of their, well, of their ripe, well, as soon as they came in. When they harvested that in, before they partook for themselves, they were to prepare that, they were to handle it, and they were to offer it to the Lord in joy. Uh, we're supposed to do the same early and often. Receiving the word, mingling it with the spirit, preparing it with wine, and presenting it with the joy of the Lord as our strength. And we're supposed to do this early and often. 
Rachel just prayed a moment ago that we would seek Him early and often, get into His Word daily, that we would have that desire, that joy, that strength that calls us and, and compels us and constrains us, that love for the Lord. That's what we're called to do daily. Now, it wasn't just first in time either, if you'll remember. It was also first in quality, first in rank, you might say. As we read it in our opening passage in Numbers 18 and 12. It wasn't bring all your garbage. It wasn't uh, looking, digging, root around in there, and you know, the little scraggly ones that, you know, the not so ripe ones. I was in California, Northern California, back in 2015, going up there in the wildland arena, and we were given to protect a vineyard that was up there, out in this beautiful area in the Shasta National Forest. It was beautiful. And so there were these vines, as you would imagine, well trimmed up and uh, it wasn't obviously wasn't harvest time because I'd never tasted like a like a wine grape and that's what it was for and so I just went, pulled it off and chewed on it and it was awful it was nasty it wasn't it wasn't ripe yet it wasn't nice and plump and, and juicy and my understanding is some of those whiny type grapes aren't the way that you would you know get the cotton candy ones at Price Chopper or whatever uh, this it was it wasn't ready it wasn't ready to come off. Um, we weren't suppo- you're not supposed to snap those things and say, here you go, Lord, our first fruits. You know, no, it's when they're ripe. You're supposed to take them in. And they were supposed to well, offer all the best of it. Not just the second squeezing of the olives. Not just the, you know, the, the dusty leftovers of the grain. It was the best of it. That's what we're called to offer. All the best of what we have. All the best of what's been given us. All the best of the abundance that the Lord has offered us. Now you know, and I hope that you understand this, it's not your money. That's your, your natural finances and all of that. But that's between you and the Lord what you're supposed to offer. And that goes along with it, certainly. But don't ever confuse that money and substance is what the Lord is calling for you because <laughs> He cares about those sorts of things themselves. It's what he does with those things that he cares about, certainly. But I'm talking about the abundance of all the other things that we talked about, the spiritual things, the abundance of your understanding of the word, the abundance of your understanding and the fullness of the spirit in you, the abundance of your joy. Those are the things that we bring to the Lord that we say, this is what I have and I want it expounded. This is what I have brought for myself and prepared for myself in understanding you. And I want you between the two of us. To expound this and expand this and exponentiate this so that it might be something even more and more because there's riches and glory that I'm looking to lay up here. All the best of what we have. And the best of us is Christ in us, the hope of glory. So I don't know how to explain that much better than to say we bring that new creation that is within us, that new creation piece of us. And we bring it before the Lord and we bring it early and often and ask Him to water it, feed it, nurture it, expand it for us daily, early, often. We bring the best and foremost of ourselves. And again, in me that is in my flesh, there dwells no good thing, but in my spirit there dwells Christ. And that's what I'm bringing to Him. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. It speaks to purpose and it speaks to focus. It speaks to maturity speaks to faith, depth of faith, width of faith, 
growth in faith that speaks to all of those things. Those are our first fruits, saints. Those are the things that we bring to the Lord early and often, and the best of us we bring to Him. When we bring those first fruits, then, these things we've been considering for this time, who are we bringing them to? It's an obvious question, I would imagine, to you. It's kind of a rhetorical question even, but it's good to study that and look, at, look into it. So we, here we are in Numbers chapter 18, verse 12. Who'd they give it to? When it says, all the best of the oil, all the best of the new wine, the grain, their first fruits which they offer to the Lord, I have given them to you. Speaking of the Lord in, in third person here, so who's he talking to? I have given them to you. It goes on in verse 13. Whatever first ripe fruit is in their land, which they bring to the Lord, shall be yours. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. Every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. So who is you and who is yours and, and that, those pronouns? Who are they talking about? Uh, look down the page at verse 8 of Numbers 18. It says there in Numbers 18.8, 8, And the Lord spoke to Aaron, Here I myself have also given you charge of my heave offerings, something received and presented to the Lord, not burned, but presented, lifted up to him. All the holy gifts of the children of Israel I have given them as a portion to you and your sons, as an ordinance forever. This shall be yours of the most holy things reserved from the fire. Every offering of theirs, every grain offering, and every sin offering, and every trespass offering which they render to me, that leaves out the burnt offering, that leaves out the peace offering. The burnt offering was burnt in its entirety except for the skin. The peace offering was eaten by the offerer. These things here were presented, and the priests took part of them. These things shall be most holy for you and your sons. The first fruits among them were given to the priests. Specifically, that includes the high priest, Aaron being the first one of those, we understand. Aaron in his day was the high priest, and from his lineage, his son, and the following son, the following son, so on and so forth, they were intended to be the high priests of Israel. And they were the ones that would receive, they and the priests at large, would receive these first fruits. Now, I think that you understand that that's fitting for us. It's a fitting illustration because as the first high priest, Aaron certainly was a picture of our high priest. Our high priest today. We don't operate under the law. The law of Moses has no bearing on us for righteousness. We can look at it and we can learn from it as we have in recent days. But we do have our high priest and of course, of course, that is the Lord Jesus himself. We see that picture. Numbers chapter 18 and verse 1. Uh, we can just look at the terminology there in Numbers 18. One where it says, The Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear the iniquity. Related to the sanctuary is what the New King James Version says. And you and your sons with you shall bear the iniquity associated with your priesthood. I won't go very far in that bearing with the iniquity or bearing the iniquity or carrying that iniquity. But you understand the high priest himself would go on the Day of Atonement once a year and atone for the sins of the nation. And there were daily sacrifices, there were individual sacrifices that took place, and it was the priest's job, the individual ones, not just the high priest, to receive those things and to present those things to the Lord and bearing the iniquity for those things that were involved in Israel and those individuals. Certainly they bore their own sins as well before the Lord and had to deal with those things also. You can read all about those things in Numbers, in Leviticus, and elsewhere. But we understand just in 
having that concept in our mind that Jesus is the one who bears the iniquities for all today. We understand this. It's not anything new. He is our high priest bearing the iniquity of all mankind. All who certainly will receive him will be blessed in that. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 4. There's no better, well, no better example of Jesus' presentation as our high priest than we find in Hebrews. So I'll show you a couple of passages there in Hebrews where we can see that play out. And then we'll start winding it down as we consider bringing our own first fruits to him. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, and then he identifies him, Jesus, the Son of God. Very simple. We have a great high priest who has passed through, literally come down. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast uh, that faith that we have in him. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19. This hope we have is an anchor for the soul, a anchor of the soul rather, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us. Even Jesus, it identifies for him for us again. Even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. You remember, Jesus was on the cross. It is finished. And he committed his soul, his spirit, right into the hands of his father. And that veil that separated was a, was a picture of the separation uh, between God and man. And that high priest stood there in intercession for them. It was torn. It was ripped top to bottom. From Jesus all the way down. It was torn and opened up. And then he entered into that place for us. Cleaned it out essentially. Spread his blood. Poured his blood out for us that any might enter into that. That one who came to provide for our abundance by laying down his life. By rending that veil on our behalf. For us. That one also comes to receive that abundance as our high priest. How does he receive the abundance? What does that mean? Jesus offers us abundance, offers us life that we might have it more abundantly. And then he comes to receive of that abundance, our first fruits to him as our high priest. Well, we honor him and we do so rightly, right? I mentioned it a moment ago. We have abundance of his word, meaning that we're educated. About Jesus, We have his word for us that we might seek him out, study him out, have a working knowledge and an understanding. It seems as soon as I stand up here behind this pulpit, I can't quote a scripture one. <laughs> can't do it. It just It's one of those things. I do much better as soon as I walk away from here. But regardless of whether I can quote it or not, the understanding is there and the comprehension is there. As you spend time in the word, you get things. You start to see things. You start to learn things. And you can understand at least, at least what the Word is telling you and what it's saying. And with time, you have familiarization with that. Then when you take of the abundance of the oil of the Spirit, you start to combine that like that, well, like that dish, that food dish that I compared it to a couple of weeks ago. It takes this stuff that seems rather dry. And it's not. It's the Word of God. But it's dry when we don't have the Spirit in its fullness. Combine that oil in there and it enriches that grain. Makes it something, again, more quote-unquote palatable. Goes down easier, more food-like, more nourishing, richer, more caloric, you could even say. Abundance of His Spirit not only helps us to be educated in Him as the Word presents, but it helps us to understand Him. 
feel him, I guess you could say. I don't want to get too goofy about it, too gooey, but there is a certain measure of getting. Man, that's what marriage is all about. You think you know somebody and you think you have some measure of education about that person. You get married and you live with that person. Man, all of a sudden you feel them. You know? And I mean that in a good way. That came out really rough. I don't mean it that way. But you get them. You understand them. It's not just being educated in them. You understand them. At least you should. And then once you have that experience and once you live with that education and live with that understanding, it sure helps it be a lot easier for you to take joy in him in all circumstances, in all situations. And there's that abundance of joy to pursue him, to seek him more and more and more. And as with Israel in these ages past that we've been considering, that theme for them applies to us as we receive the abundance of these things. The Word, the Spirit, and His joy, we should rightly offer to Him the first fruits of those things, the first fruits of that abundance. Turn to Hebrews chapter 7. The high priests, the high priests, uh, beginning with Aaron and all the way down, and well, until you got to Jesus, certainly, they were all men, all fallible, just as you and I are. Uh, and they were blessed in receiving the first fruits, as we considered a moment ago, because of the practicality of it. They received the, well, they needed to be fed, they needed to be paid, if you want to put it that way. They had to eat. But the fact that they received the first fruits is still yet a picture for us. They were fallible men, and they still received that blessing. Jesus, he wasn't fallible. And as our high priest, he's perfect. And he doesn't just receive something for practicality's sake. He's worthy of those things. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 24 says this. Oh, that's not what I wanted. Yeah. Hebrews 7 verse 24. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. He continues forever. He is the high priest and the only high priest now. It doesn't matter what anyone else, what their title they might hold, what they might seek, what they might call themselves. It doesn't matter. Uh, He continues forever. He has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost. Man, to the top. Without limitation. Those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Ah, the high priest of the day was given quite the responsibility. Quite the responsibility to enter into the Holy of Holies. And go through those motions and go through those... Well, specific steps in bringing and bearing the iniquity of the, of the nation, presenting it to Jehovah. Certainly. I, I mean, I, I hold a certain measure, they're long dead, certainly, but I hold a certain measure of sympathy for them, uh, retroactively looking back at them and thinking, man, what a lot of stress that would have been. But even them, they weren't capable. They weren't capable in and of themselves for buying the lives of all of those ones that they, that they, well, that they brought in for atonement with that blood, with that sacrifice. Jesus lives forever, and it's a good thing He does, because He always lives to make intercession for us. Always does. He is eternal. He is God. He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, appropriate for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, and only by which he is capable of doing that for a whole world of sinners, past and future. He 
He's the only one qualified who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness. But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son, the Son of God who has been perfected forever. That's our high priest. Those other ones who received the first fruits from the hands of those Israelites. They received it because it was a picture. And because the Lord wanted to provide for those ones or scripture that says that they were provided so that they might continue and seek after and take care of the things of the law and of the word of God and, and commit themselves to those things. But they weren't worthy in and of themselves. You know, we are we're flesh. Not so Jesus. Jesus is worthy of our very best. And again, I don't mean just the best of our bank account and the best of our IRAs and that sort of thing. He's worthy of our best. Not by obligation of the law. Not just to accomplish an illustration as those ones before. But that he might receive his due. What is due to him. What he is justified in receiving. Again, not just the first fruits of our stuff. But of us, of ourselves. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. This familiar passage that we consider often and we do so appropriately because it says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies. And you know what? Not just these natural bodies, but the things that are inside. Our thoughts and our intentions and our purposes, those things that move this body where we choose. I beseech you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, Acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, which is what he is due, what he is worthy of, what he's deserving of. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is Paul saying here? He's wrapping it all up for us. He's saying that Jesus is worthy of our sacrifice. Yes, any sacrifice. When I say our sacrifice, I mean anything again he doesn't very rarely does he call for everything but we need to be willing to give him anything he's deserving of our utmost i sat in a fire station uh, some years ago i guess it was just a couple of months before i knew i was coming back here i listened to brother david give a, a lesson a recording while i was in the gym and it was called my utmost for his highest i think it's an old song if memory serves me but i don't recall But I remember how it struck me in that moment, how my utmost for him, I don't remember if Brother David said it or not, but it was my utmost for him will never achieve that being saved to the uttermost. The best I could give, the best, my absolute best I could give him would not attain his uttermost salvation. Even just salvation. But all of the extra, all of the other riches that he offers us, he's worthy of my every sacrifice, my any sacrifice. He's deserving of my utmost, even if he only saved me to the littlest most. But he has saved me to the uttermost and offers me so much more. He's justified in having his good and acceptable and perfect will there we see in verse 2. He's justified in having that borne out in me. He's justified in having that borne out in you. He is due my first fruits, my preparation of the word, your preparation of the word. 
Your fullness in the Spirit, your preparation of the oil of the Spirit, your preparation and consideration and application of the joy of the Lord, that is your strength. Being educated, understanding Him and pursuing Him. And we receive of His abundance. And we prepare it for ourselves and apply it to our lives in sacrifice. It does transform us. That's how you get that transformation that he says. That's how we aren't conformed to the world. That's what the world isn't doing. It's not receiving of his abundance. It's not preparing of the word of God. Receiving the fullness of the spirit and applying that oil. Taking joy and being strengthened in the joy of the Lord. The world isn't doing that. So if you don't want to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, this is how you do it. By receiving of the abundance from the Lord's hand, preparing it for yourselves, and applying it, offering it to Him as the first fruits. It makes us more like Him. It helps us to look for Him. And saints, when, when believers live for Him and look like Him and look for Him, what does He do? He comes looking for you. And He's going to come looking for those ones who are living for Him and loving His appearance. Saints, the message is familiar. It's simple. When we give our first fruits to the high priest and we offer our best to him, the utmost of ourselves to him, simply he gives us his best. Uh, it, my utmost doesn't match the uttermost, but if I bring my best to the Lord, he doesn't withhold his best from me. And it's as simple as that. I give him my first fruits, he gives me abundance, abundance of riches. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20. This will be our last passage that we'll look at tonight. He makes us his first fruits of sorts when we do such things. But now Christ has risen from the dead. This speaks of that day. That day when, when he calls up his people. Now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And we understand this. He is the first fruits of those ones. Led them up, led captivity captive, and so forth. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Each one in his own rank. Christ the firstfruits and afterward those who are Christ at his coming. We're not going to be the firstfruits that Christ is. But you might call that bridal company the firstfruits of those ones that remain. Those ones that are his, right? Those ones that... Desire Him of all of His fruit, of all of His seed. Those ones who are closest, that out-resurrection from among those that will be resurrected. Those ones that will be victorious. I would call them the first fruits for the first fruits. That is Christ. All the best of the oil. That's what I would call those ones. All the best of the oil. All the best of the new wine and the grain. Their first fruits which they offer to the Lord. I have given them to you. Those ones will be among the first that go up in time, won't they? And they will be certainly first in rank. That's what I want to be, child of God. Of God's people, there will be those who bring to the high priest their very best, their first fruits, and they will receive from him his best. And that is a good trade, child of God. That's not a difficult, shouldn't be a difficult thing. Certainly it is not difficult to the new creation. It's not a difficult decision to make if we lean into that. Unfortunately, our flesh sticks around. Our flesh would lean on us to do otherwise, and it is a daily decision. 
Well, choose you this day whom you will serve, Joshua said. It is a daily decision to do so. But saints, it's one that we can make as we lean into the new creation, as we consider Jesus' worthiness of it and make that our purpose. The grain, the oil, the wine, all of those things and what they do in us and change us. We offer those things to the Lord and He will finish us and give us His very best.